readings from Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 11 to 22. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcised by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at, the t- that, at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the in the world. But now the Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who circ- sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinance, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more stranger, no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together in habitation of God through the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Daniel. And went for a challenge, I think, with the King James Version this morning. Thank you so much. We're in um, Ephesians 2, starting at verse 11, if you want to follow along on your phones. Um, And we are in the middle of a series that we're kind of dipping into around the Easter period called Colors of the Cross. And we're looking at the different things that the cross achieved, the different things that the cross means for us. So shall we just pray, um, and then we'll uh, continue with that. So, Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. And I pray that you would speak specifically to each one of us this morning. Thank you that you love us, you know us personally, and you have things that you want us to hear. We are open to you. Would you come and speak now? Amen. Amen. So today, um, I want to speak specifically on pursuing peace in a divided world. Or in other words, reconciliation. We're going to look at how the cross of Christ brings about the possibility of reconciliation in our lives like nothing else can. And it's true, isn't it, that human beings, we love being together. If you're an introvert in the room, you might not be quite so sure. But I think generally speaking, we love being together. We were wired for a relationship. We were created for community. We were designed for dependency 
on one another. I remember one holiday a few years ago, it was an October half term, and we'd gone up to the Peak District to see friends who'd moved from London to Sheffield. And on the last day, we got up, uh, it was a holiday, so it was fairly leisurely, and we met them in their home for brunch. And they put on the most beautiful brunch. It was like pancakes, it was bacon, I think there was champagne, uh, orange juice, there was cream. It was just like the most decadent brunch you can imagine. It was fantastic. And so after that, we were kind of fairly full. The, the adults and the kids were playing. And then we decided it was a good time to um, get out, get some fresh air. So we went to go and find a park. Uh, the playground that we went to uh, was actually like broken. We couldn't go there. So even better, we ended up in the pub. So we go to the pub, and this pub had like a little playground as part of it. The kids are playing. We're chatting and connecting um, over some good drink. And then we come back. We probably have more to eat. Uh, we put the kids in the bath together. Great fun. Put their PJs on, and we drive back home from Sheffield to London. And I remember driving home on that evening and not only feeling like my belly was full because it was a good food day, but I remember thinking my heart is full. My heart is full. And why was my heart full? Because it was a day rich in relationship. And we are made, the story of the Bible over us tells us that we were created to connect and be in relationship with one another. It's how we come alive. And yet, one of the paradoxes of life is that whilst we long for community, all too often we find ourselves in a divided world. We have a natural propensity within us, it seems, to go from us to us and them. Seems to be part of the human condition ever since the fall, something within us. Now, you don't need me to tell you this. If you've ever worked in an office or on work environments, that us and them is seen. Did you hear about Darren in accounts? Can you believe what he did? Gossip, division, we're aware of it. If you've ever lived in shared housing, a group of people that were once started out as friends, they start living together, arguments erupt, don't they? Division uh, comes about. Who did the washing up? Messiness, all of that sort of stuff. The most famous bands, they reach success, and then what's the cliche story? They fall out right? In the macro, the history of any nation, somewhere is found a story of conflict, uh, perhaps the prioritizing of one group or ethnicity over another people. What is it about us human beings that does this? We have the concept of frenemies. Have you heard of that? And in the online world, it is raging at the moment, this Division, this antagonism, this sense of blame, wanting to have these two groups, us and them, left v. right, progressive versus conservative, woke v. anti-woke, v. I've just woken up, I don't know what's going on. But wherever we feel division, it hurts. Division hurts, it's not right. Rejection, exclusion, uh, accusation, the brokenness that so often characterizes our relationships hurts. David writes in Psalm 133, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony or in unity. And it's true, isn't it? Just imagine a world where this division didn't exist. Just for a moment. 
where there was harmony in all our relationships. Imagine the time that we would save getting angry at people, the thoughts that harbor in our minds, the stress that we wouldn't need to carry in our marriages, in our families, with our colleagues at work, with our neighbors, in our local community here in Sydney and Forest Hill. To extend it wider, how great would it be if there was justice, that there really was an end to racism and all forms of discrimination in our world, a world totally in harmony and peace. What a beautiful picture. It's a picture of heaven. It's a clear, it's a picture of the kingdom of God coming. And I want to say this morning that God is on the move. And one of the great moves of God in human history, what he did on the cross and what he's doing today and by his spirit, what he joins us, he invites us to join him with, is this move of reconciliation. And the great move of God in the world is to move from us and them to an us. And that's what our passage today is all about in Ephesians, this incredible passage. And Ephesians, just briefly, is a book written by the Apostle Paul. It's one of his prison letters, and it's a letter that expands our minds. Paul scales back and sees the the kind of cosmic image of what Jesus has done on the cross in his life, uh, in his death, in his resurrection. And it draws us into wonder at Jesus. That's the book of Ephesians. And here we are, Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. And in this section in particular, it's as if Paul wants to imagine us to imagine the cross. So we've got a great big cross behind us. You can use that as a visual aid this morning because the cross points us to the two great movements of reconciliation that God is working in our lives. Vertical between us and God and then horizontal between one another, and we're going to look at those in turn. So firstly, the reconciliation that is vertical between us and God. And that vertical beam points to the foundational relationship that we were all designed for. In verse 12, Paul says this, In those days you were living apart from Christ. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, that is because of the cross, you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus. God's original plan for our lives that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 is all about our original design as human beings, how we are made to flourish, what life was meant to look like. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we get this amazing picture of Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the evening with God, it says. And walking was like a Hebrew image, a Hebrew picture for friendship with God. So we were designed to have an intimate friendship with God. And then one of the main things that sin does in the biblical story is it separates us from God because it's not that God doesn't love us, but you just can't have anything to do with darkness. Where there is light, there can be no darkness. And so there's separation from God that comes about. There's a blockage. And this is what Paul describes in verse 12. You are without God and you are without hope in the world. The two go together. Where there is God, there is 
hope. We need God and his love in our lives to flourish and to be the people we were created to be. It's a little bit like a flower. If you tug a flower out of the soil, it's not going to last very long. But a flower deep rooted in the soil is going to grow and going to flourish. That is how we are meant to be existing in the love of God. And so ever since sin entered the world, God has been fighting to win his children back. That is the story of the scriptures in summary. Firstly, through Abraham, as he calls a nation to be his, a nation where he could dwell and then be a blessing to other nations. Moses, as he receives the law, a way of God being with his people without them being destroyed, essentially. The prophets always calling God's people back to him. Come back to God. Return to God. Don't go after other idols. Don't go after other things in life. Return to God. And then ultimately, all of it pointing forward to Jesus. And Jesus in Luke 15 tells three little stories that reveal this heart of God. He tells the story of a woman looking for a coin. She looks day and night to find this coin until she's found it because it's so precious. We are the coin. God is the woman. It's not very complicated. The other story, another story, Jesus tells the story of a shepherd and lost sheep. We're the lost sheep. God is the shepherd. He comes looking for us. And then finally, this beautiful story of the prodigal son, or you might call it the running father, a son that goes and gets lost, and a father that comes running after him. This is the story of the cross. That's what we see. The length that God would go to to bring his children back. I love you this much. That's what the cross says. And I love that little phrase in verse 13. We have been brought near. By the blood of Christ, we've been brought near, near to God. God is not inviting us to any old relationship that we might have. You know, we have, I have a relationship with the postman, but it's not a particularly close one, right? It's not an invitation to any old relationship. It's an invitation to closeness and to nearness. It reminds me of my daughter B. Uh, 20 months old, uh, at the end of the day, and she, at the end of the day, she's just tired, and um, she just wants to be held, basically, um, and she's often hungry, so I give her toast, so she wanders around the kitchen with this toast with peanut butter on, she just constantly seems to have a cold, I don't know why that is, and she just puts her hands out like this, and she just wants to be held, and so, actually, I love it, I love those cuddles, and so I pick her up, and she snuggles right into my chest, and the it's always when I've just done the washing, you know, and you've got a new top on. She snuggles and she gets a snot right into my new jumper. And the peanut butter gets rubbed in there as well. But you know what? I don't care about the mess because I love being near my children. I want her to feel my heartbeat. I want her to feel my breath. I want that nearness. And that is exactly how your Heavenly Father feels about you. And that's exactly the story of the cross. And when we experience this intimacy with God, it's everything that our souls are longing for. I love the way a friend of mine described the experience of the love of God uh, when she became a Christian. And she said this, I think what set it off was when someone told me that God loved me just for being me and nothing else. And it was like a light that switched on or that moment in Wizard of Oz when everything goes from black and white into color. Since becoming a Christian, my friends and family have noticed such a change in me. 
And that change is because she's now rooted in the relationship that she was designed for. It's like the flower has gone back into the soil of God's love, the father love. And she can grow and be the person that God created her to be, to live life in its fullness, to find healing. So I wonder how things are between you and your Heavenly Father this morning. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, wherever you are at with faith, the message of the cross is always come. It's always come close. It's a picture of the Father. It's a picture of God with his arms out wanting that embrace. And practically, what does closeness mean? It means being with him each day. Spending time with him. When's the moment in the day that you carve out to be with your heavenly father? To simply be still, to ask his presence to fill you, to hear his voice in scripture, to experience his love. When is that moment for you? It might be 10 minutes with a cup of coffee in your favorite armchair at the beginning of the day. It might be on your commute to work. It might be on a lunch break. It is the most important relationship that we have. Let's prioritize that time of intimacy with the Lord. So that's the first great movement of reconciliation that God is working in us and in the world. But secondly, it's a reconciliation to others. The second beam on the cross is horizontal. In verse 14, Paul writes this, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. We have been made one people. Any identity that we have may hold on to falls away. In other parts of the New Testament, Paul says there's no more Jew or Gentile, slave or free, man or woman, because all are one in Christ Jesus. Our fundamental identity is as sons and daughters. That means we're one family together. And here's what's true of any family. We are a family, right, as a church. Okay, look around. Whether you like it or not, we're brothers and sisters. Okay, we're family. Here's what's true of any family. We're different. Okay, we might not always agree. We're not the same. But love is what unites us. Love is what unites us. When I think of the church, I think of a mosaic. You know a mosaic? And you get all these different parts of like clay and ceramic and colored stones and you bring them together and these funny little odd parts that we often feel like come together and make something beautiful. That is the church. It is a beautiful thing to be part of in its diversity. There is no other movement, there's no other group in the world that carries the same diversity as the church. And I just want to speak to us as Holy Trinity for a moment. In Ephesians 3 verse 4, so just a chapter later, Paul says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So unity is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Unity in our diversity. There's always going to be difference. We're going to have differences of opinion. We're not always going to get on. But there's unity because the Holy Spirit is amongst us. But it's also something we can work at. That's why Paul says make every effort. We can work at unity. And I really believe that God is doing something special 
in this church. There is a move of the Spirit that we want to fan into flame. But one of the things that will let the enemy have a foothold that will stop what God wants to do is disunity. So if there's something between you and someone in the church, can I encourage you to deal with it? There's two ways of dealing with it. You can either go and talk to the person yourself and sort it out, or you can forgive them and release blessing over them. Imagine that person who really winds you up. You can't believe why they do what they do. They really frustrate you. Forgive them and pray prayers of blessing over them. That's two ways that we can deal with it. The key thing is to not let bitterness and unforgiveness harbor. It spills into gossip. It creates disunity in the church. It stops a move of God. True peace and unity comes not from ignoring the issues, but comes from courageous conversations where we confront the issue and not bury it. We want to be a church like that. So that's just a little aside. A feedback to Ephesians 2. Paul says that through the cross, Jesus has brought together two groups, Jew and Gentile. And in Paul's day, there were no more obvious two groups of us and them than Jew and Gentile. It's like a great example for us. If God can bring Jew and Gentile together, frankly, he can bring anyone together. They'd lived separately for thousands of years. And this separation was obvious when you just looked around the city at the time. There were places where Gentiles could go, but Jews couldn't. And vice versa, because of cleanliness, they couldn't eat together. They couldn't really do life together. So when we consider this cultural background, we see how radical the cross is in the unity that it brings in the early church. When suddenly there's these groups gathering together in people's homes, eating together of Jew and Gentile, men and women, slave and free, and they're all honoring each other as being of the same level because they know really their identity is as sons and daughters. Let me just read that again. Paul says, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace. He has made the two groups one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He says the barrier was like a dividing wall. It's a little bit like this. As an example, in 1961 to 1989, the Berlin Wall divided Germany's capital. Communist East was separate from the capitalist West. And it was a wall that caused untold pain, separating friends, family, partners, and communities for 30 years. After political negotiation, protests, and prayer gatherings, and marches on the 9th of November 1989, what happened? The wall fell. And when it fell, those from the east came through that wall and were greeted with flowers and champagne and celebrations that lasted for days. No more did the old identities of east and west stand because there was now one people. And on the cross, Jesus has broken any dividing wall that might separate us. We have one Father and we're filled with one Spirit. And this means for us that whoever we are, Whatever we've done, whatever background we're from, whatever ethnicity we carry, whoever we are, whatever age or stage, church is for you. You belong. That's what it means. We live in a community where we generally belong. And when we do that, it is powerful. It is a beautiful thing to be part of. This is what Brené Brown says about being part of a family or a community She says, a deep sense of love and belonging 
is a irreducible need of all people. We are biologically, cognitively, physically and spiritually wired to love, to be loved and to belong. When those needs aren't met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, we get sick. And one of our values as a church is that we want church to feel like family, that we're one big family together. We want it to be a place where people can find healing and wholeness and fullness of life in community together. So that's the first thing. You belong. And secondly, we are called to partner with God in the work of reconciliation and unity in our lives. If that's what God's about, if that's what God does, if that's the family business, then that's what we are to do. The church is to be a picture of what the world will be when Christ comes again in his kingdom fullness. Every nation, tribe, and tongue represented, worshipping as one. So I wonder for us, where do we have an opportunity? Where might the Spirit be prompting us to pursue forgiveness, to pursue peace, to pursue reconciliation? Is there an old friend that we perhaps have drifted away from or fallen out with? Is there someone at work or our school or uni who just makes life really difficult? Is God prompting us to pursue a way of reconciliation with them? In our lives online, what does this mean? In the organizations that we work, what does genuine Christ-like inclusion look like? And as I come into land, I just want to offer a couple of tips, practical tips for pursuing unity in our relationships. Uh, Firstly, and I'll I'll rattle through these, be quick to say sorry. Um, I learned this in marriage prep. And uh, it has saved me a lot of trouble. Uh, Be quick to say sorry. Don't hold on to grudges and be quick to forgive. Give people the benefit of the doubt. and Be generous in the way that we see people. Be quick to say sorry. Be quick to forgive. Secondly, be inquisitive. Uh, A little while ago, I went to an evening uh, led by an organization called Bridge Builders. And she said, the the lady speaking said, the number one thing, number one piece of advice to heal conflict is to be inquisitive about the other person. Where is there perhaps conflict in your life with someone else? Be inquisitive about that person. Why might they think the way that they do? Why might they behave the way that they do? I find that so helpful. Uh, thirdly, be patient. Imagine if we did this in the online world where we see an email or something we disagree with on social media. We just take a moment to breathe. Just to be patient. We imagine the face of the other person in front of us. Imagine the difference that might make in how we respond. And then fourthly, be generous. If you try holding a grudge against someone who is generous to you, it is very difficult. It is very difficult. Generosity begets unity. It's a wonderful thing. So be generous. Generous with your words. Generous with your actions. Generous with your life. So as I come into land and we draw towards Easter, we draw towards Holy Week, let's just take a moment this morning. It's an invitation to look at the cross, to know the love of the Father afresh for us, the lengths that he would go to to win us back as his children, to remove the barrier of sin that pollutes our life so we can know that closeness with him as closeness as a snotty toddler resting on 
her dad. And then we look at that horizontal beam as well. It's an invitation to love others. As we receive the forgiveness and grace and love of the Father, we are to extend that to others in every sphere of life, to pursue unity and togetherness with all the joy and challenges that that might bring. Amen. Should we stand together? What we do as we gather each week is we want to make space for